Greetings and welcome to the Audio Tidbits Podcast Network. We hope you enjoy the show. Part 2, Crisis Communication. Chapter 6, The Communication Loop. The crisis intervention process proceeds on multiple levels. For those with little understanding of crisis and crisis intervention, the process appears to be relatively easy and sounds a lot like common sense. It has been said though, that common sense represents the accumulated wisdom of the ages, and skillful intervention is not nearly so easy and casual as it might appear. When someone asks my kids what their daddy does, they usually reply that he just talks to people. Their daddy has more fancy names for it, counseling, psychotherapy, play therapy, and even crisis intervention. Nonetheless, the kids are right. In crisis intervention, most of what we do is just talking to people. At least, that is what it looks like to an observer. As we shall see though, our talking to people is but one level of what is really going on in the process. We are helping the individual develop and maintain crisis focus. We are coming to an understanding of the precipitating event while developing judgment about the now potential and the self-resolution factor. We are developing a crisis definition and formulating intervention hypotheses. Throughout the process, we are evaluating our intervention and are being alert to potential cumulative effects and other unseen effects. We are actively involved with the individual in the process. Activities at this level tend to have a thinking-doing quality. At another level, we are carefully and caringly listening to the individual's communication to us. We hear him, we are trying to understand, and we want him to know we care. The understanding that comes through listening is however, not passive. We are actively involved with the individual, affecting and being affected by him, and intentionally and intently working toward his being able to deal with his difficulties. As we talk about crisis communication then, we will see that our talk is really not just talk. It is a special kind of communication that requires sensitivity, self-awareness, compassion, and concern for the individual and honest empathy with his crisis involvement. Messages and Responses Figure 5 finds the individual in another crisis, but this time he has the good fortune to be in the communication loop with you. You are skilled at crisis communication and are focusing your intervention hypothesis on the need to help the individual slow down and plan ahead. In crisis communication, there is a communication loop in which messages, ideas, feelings, and so on, are sent out by the individual in crisis, picked up by you, and returned to the individual in a slightly modified and clarified form. Understanding this communication loop and the techniques involved in modifying and clarifying these messages, ideas, and feelings represents an important and valuable skill when working with people in crisis. First, we need to consider the interactive nature of communication and of helping relationships. At an abstract level, a person in crisis is internally experiencing various and sometimes conflicting feelings, emotions, impulses, urges, and so on. Within the individual then, is a confusing and possibly disturbing mix of things that contributes to his feelings of uneasiness and crisis. Second, we want to help him feel better and become better able to deal with his situation. Within us are a variety of skills and ideas, including a knowledge of the crisis intervention process. Somehow, the individual needs to communicate what is going on within him. At the same time, and this must be emphasized, we need to make our knowledge and skills available to him. Somehow, the individual in crisis needs to translate his feelings, emotions, ideas, and so on into messages and convey those messages to us. We will, in turn, need to decode the messages, interpret them in light of our knowledge and skills, and respond to the individual. He will then take in our response and send us another message. This interaction process of messages and responses may be verbal or non-verbal. Non-verbal communication is probably familiar to all of us. We get and give messages by touching, by the way we look or act, through gestures and posture, and so on. Whether the messages and responses are verbal or non-verbal however, the purpose of the communication loop in crisis intervention is crisis reduction. 
Betty is your neighbor and has stopped over for a cup of coffee. As you listen to her, think how difficult it is for her to translate her feelings, ideas, and emotions into meaningful messages. You want to help her focus on her immediate crisis situation, develop a picture of her crisis, and begin to think about possible solutions to her problems. This process starts by helping her to talk with you in a meaningful way. As we see, this is not so easy as one might think at first. Betty sits on the edge of her chair, seems uncomfortable, and keeps fidgeting, putting her arms first on the arms of the chair and then in her lap, looking at you and then looking around the room, and then tentatively reaches toward her cigarettes lying on the kitchen table. Your best intention to talk to her without any interruptions gets off to a bad start. Your phone rings just as you start to talk, and she waits nervously as you talk with the store manager about your new television set that has never worked right. As you hang up the telephone, you say to her, that's just been one big headache. For that much money you should at least get something that works. At least I haven't been having any problems like that lately, Betty replies with apparent disinterest. What kind of problems have you been having? You ask. I don't know how to explain it to you. You'll probably think it's silly. You say, our family and our problems are really serious to us and are never silly. That's for sure. It's really serious to me. Maybe most people wouldn't think it's such a big thing, but it's a big thing to me. Betty seems to be deep in thought and rolls her cigarette in her fingers. She looks at you then back at the cigarette then back at you. It's my husband. I don't think I love him anymore. At least I guess I don't love him. I must not. You ask, have you and he been having trouble? I didn't think so, but I guess we must be. He says I'm boring to him and stays away all the time. If I loved him enough, he'd want to stay home more. Home must not be a very nice place for him. He'd rather be out with his friends than with me and the kids. Her eyes began to tear a little, and she sniffles. I don't know what's wrong. We have a nice house, and I try to take care of it. You can't spend all of your time being pretty and paying all of your attention to him with kids and dirty dishes and scrubbing floors. My little girl's teacher said I had to come in for a conference. You can see that there is real difficulty in the relationship between Betty and her husband. She feels that he wants her to be something she cannot be. She is beginning to feel more relaxed, and her thoughts are apparently moving from here to there. She lets you know that she is also concerned about her daughter and the conference with the teacher. You ask, did the teacher give you any idea about why she wanted to talk with you? No. But the way things have been going, I'm sure it's not good. When people come to us, they always have a purpose or reason for talking with us about their situation. It is worth a moment's thought to consider how you would feel taking your personal problems to someone else. It is likely that you would feel somewhat uncomfortable, perhaps a little embarrassed, and certainly unsure about how your personal feelings and ideas would be dealt with. Betty was initially uncomfortable and wanted to be sure that she was going to be taken seriously and that there would be enough time to really think about her situation. She was nervous and a little confused at first about how she should go about explaining her predicament. Your knowledge of people and their situations led you to the hunch that she may be having difficulty with her family. Had she said no in response to your question about her family, you would have moved on to inquire about other possible problem areas. For Betty, it was enough to focus her attention on her family. She was able to pick up on that and begin to talk about some of her difficulties. Notice that she shifted rather abruptly from the discussion about her husband to the teacher's request for a conference. In the initial phase of most crisis contacts, people will tend to jump from topic to topic in this abrupt fashion. At the beginning of the process, it is important to go with the shift. Your questions and comments should relate to the different problems brought up by the individual. For now, it is important to help him begin to talk about his problems and to help him feel comfortable expressing his very personal feelings and ideas. You are someone who will help him talk, and someone with whom he feels comfortable talking. Later, there will be time to keep the focus on one topic or problem at a time. Modification and Clarification 
for individuals in crisis. Crisis communication must lead to modification and clarification of their feelings, emotions, and ideas, thereby enabling them to better deal with their present situation. For example, if a teenage boy becomes very angry with someone who made a pass at his girlfriend and is fighting the impulse to get revenge, crisis communication should modify and diffuse his anger while, at the same time, helping to clarify the implications of seeking revenge. If a young child has had a very traumatic experience and is withdrawing and turning his feelings in on himself, crisis communication should help him modify his feelings somewhat and enable him to talk them out. In any crisis situation in which our intervention hypothesis directs us to focus on the individual, our goal is to help him modify, clarify, and cope with his feelings and thoughts. Our skill and knowledge about dealing with feelings and thoughts need to be made available to the individual for his use in understanding and coping with his own thoughts and feelings. Before we became involved, he was dealing with his feelings and thoughts through his own internal communication process. It is then, our goal to become a part of that internal communication process by letting him use us to supplement and support his own communication skills and capacities. Mr. I is a skilled laborer at a local manufacturing company. You ask him, what's happening? He says, I'm really in a mess, and he goes on to explain a rather complicated situation to you. As with most people in crisis, he does not present the details in a logical sequence but brings up another problem before finishing the first. He has been laid off from his job and will not start getting his unemployment checks for two or three weeks. He is behind in his bills, and his daughter had surgery a few days ago. His wife is fairly depressed and has been nagging him for weeks. She has gotten to a point where she will not go out of the house even to do the grocery shopping. He built a new set of bookshelves for her in the family room, and she has done nothing but complain about them since he finished. He has a raw checker he has been working on for several years. It is just about finished, but his partner will not put up the $300 of his share to finish the work. He is union steward, and with all the layoffs, everyone expects him to do something about it. He wants to quit as union steward, but his wife accuses him of having no ambition and of not wanting to get ahead. He was in an automobile accident a few months ago, and the other driver is suing him, saying that he injured his back. The accident was not Mr. I's fault, but his attorney will not defend him in court until Mr. I can come up with enough money to pay the fee. His wife thinks she's pregnant, and that is his fault too, according to her. His doctor tells him that he should go into the hospital for a few days to have some tests run to see what is causing his headaches and chest pains. On top of all that, his wife's parents are on him about not providing better for his kids and not helping his wife more. Things are really a mess. From Mr. I's point of view, nothing is working out. The harder he tries, the worse things get. How can you make your thinking and planning skills available to him? First, it may help if Mr. I can think about his problems in categories. To do so may begin to get the confusion into some manageable order. He has numerous financial difficulties, including his bills, the attorney's fee, and the money for his raw checker. Perhaps it will be helpful if he concentrates on his bills and the attorney's fee, leaving the raw checker problem for the time being. He has several problems involving pressures from other people, including his wife, his in-laws, and his union steward job. Perhaps he could drop the union steward job for the time being, accepting some increased criticism and pressure from his wife. He has some physical problems, including headaches and chest pains. These symptoms are potentially quite serious, and even if they turn out to be a result of his being so upset, it is important for him to follow his doctor's advice. His wife is depressed and withdrawn. Maybe she would accept a suggestion that she go to the local mental health center for some counseling. It might be helpful if Mr. and Mrs. I went to the center together. Next, we can help him think about those problems that are extremely important and need immediate attention and those that can wait for a while. Then we can help him think about those difficulties that he can do something about and those that he cannot. For example, he works very hard to provide for his family and his in-laws' criticism is not really justified. Perhaps they are just critical people. In any event, there is little if anything he can do about that. 
as we begin to help him think about his situation, his numerous problems will begin to take on some order. At that point, he can begin to work on those things he is able to do something about, recognizing those things that are not open to change and worrying about them less. An old prayer comes to mind. It asks for guidance to change the things we can change, insight to accept the things we cannot change, and the good sense to know the difference. As you talk with Mr. I, you gradually modify and clarify his messages in a way that enables him to plan and think ahead, that is, you make your thinking and planning skills available to him. Filtering Feelings the communication loop also operates at a somewhat different level, involving our becoming a part of the individual's own communication process. We serve as a rational, objective, feeling, caring sounding board for his feelings and ideas and as an emotional filter through which his feelings and ideas can pass. Hopefully, this filtering will make his feelings and emotions more manageable and less disruptive and result in a lower likelihood of eruption and possibly destructive outcomes. In chapters 7 and 9, this process of working with the feelings and emotions of people in crisis will receive detailed attention. The notion of filtering feelings though, is basic to dealing with crisis situations. Think about the fact that it takes at least two people to have an argument. Someone is extremely upset and angry with you. He is accusing you of being irresponsible and of making a mess of things. Your natural temptation is to become defensive, try to explain your behavior, attempt to reason with him, and as a last resort to attack him, accusing him of being insensitive and unreasonable, and, anyway, the difficulty is probably his fault. Suppose that the problem was that you were eating popcorn in the living room and had made a mess. Your wife discovers the mess and accuses you of being irresponsible, setting a bad example for the children, making more work for her, and really not caring about her feelings and how hard she works. Obviously, she has had a bad day, and your making a mess was the final straw. Instead of becoming defensive and trying to justify your behavior, you say, I'm really sorry about making a mess. I am sorry that I have made you so angry with me. I can tell you're really mad about this, and I don't blame you. You would never say that? Why not? When people attack us, we are supposed to defend ourselves. Anyway, she is making a big deal over nothing. What do you think her reaction would be if, instead of getting angry or defending yourself, you simply absorb her anger and tell her that you are sorry? She will probably be at least less angry than she was initially. You have managed to keep the conversation focused on the problem, the popcorn in the living room. As the two of you think about the problem, she will probably calm down, and both of you, for example, could clean up the mess. You have avoided a serious argument, and had that argument followed the pattern of most blow-ups, you have avoided getting into other problems. Arguments tend to start over something minor and then move from topic to topic. It is common for people to report that they had a huge argument, but they are not able to remember what it started over. In the case of the popcorn, you have filtered the intense feeling out of the conversation. This enabled you to focus on the real problem, the fact that your wife was upset about having to deal with one more mess. Just as you were able to filter the anger out of the conversation, you can filter the feelings of people in crisis. To do this, you start by acknowledging the feeling. You let the person know you understand why he or she is upset, angry, afraid, confused, depressed, sad, and so on. In many ways, this requires a somewhat unnatural emotional response on your part. We usually reflect the feelings of other people. If someone is angry, we become angry. If he is afraid, we become apprehensive. If he is sad, we become sad. In crisis intervention, we avoid reflecting the feelings of the individual in crisis, that is, we do not feel like he feels. Instead, we attempt to absorb or filter their feelings. This lets them get past the intense emotion and lets them think with us about the problem and about possible solutions. Not just conversation. Perhaps it will be helpful to think about crisis communication in terms of its differences from and its similarities to more typical conversations in which communication is sequential. You make a comment or observation, express a feeling, or send some other type of message to me. 
I receive your message and add some ideas and feelings of my own. I then send you a message related to what you said but include my own ideas and feelings. You receive my message and add some ideas and feelings of your own. The process goes back and forth with our individual ideas and feelings being added. Over a period of time then, we may have talked about many different things, expressed a lot of different views and ideas, and ended up with something that had no apparent relationship to what we started talking about. We have moved, sequentially, from one thing to another, and our communication drifts. In crisis communication however, focus starts and remains with the individual and his crisis. As we think about the communication loop, an example may help to illustrate differences between ordinary conversation, on the one hand, and crisis communication, on the other. Recall Dick's predicament with his supposedly unfaithful wife. First, consider how a conversation might go between Dick and a friend. Dick, I just found out that my wife has been sleeping with a man she works with. Friend, how long has that been going on? Dick, I don't know. What do you think I should do? Friend, I wouldn't put up with it. Did you tell her what you thought about it? Dick, I sure did. I told her what I thought, and I feel like packing my bags and leaving. Friend, you can stay at my house a few days. You don't have to put up with that kind of stuff going on in your own house. As we can see, Dick's friend not only added his own opinions and attitudes but, in fact, encouraged the snowball effect of Dick's crisis. As we mentioned in Part 1, crisis intervention should reduce the now potential and increase the self-resolution factor. Dick's friend tended to move the crisis in a direction that increased the now potential. In addition, the friend's behavior tended to lower the self-resolution factor. Instead of increasing Dick's ability to deal with the crisis, the friend tended to take over the situation himself, telling Dick what to do and giving him directions. The friend's effort to improve the situation through conversation probably made things worse. Next, consider the following crisis communication involving Dick. In this, you make your knowledge, skills, and feelings available to him in a way that reduces the now potential of the crisis and increases the self-resolution factor. Dick, I just found out that my wife has been sleeping with a man she works with. You, wow. How are you dealing with that? Dick, I told her off, and I feel like packing my bags and leaving. You, I think I might feel pretty hurt, angry, and confused if that happened to me. Where do you think you might go? Dick, I haven't thought about it. I just think I'll leave. You, wonder if running will help things any? It might just make matters worse. Dick, I don't know. I can't just stay here and act like nothing happened. What do you think I should do? You, I don't know, Dick. I want to help. Maybe it will help to talk about it some more and to try to think things through. Had you and your wife been having trouble? As we look at this example of crisis communication, we can see that you have somewhat reduced the now potential by getting Dick to think about what is going on and by involving him in the crisis communication process. You are working toward increasing the self-resolution factor by getting him to look at the situation, question his actions, and think about what might have led up to the crisis. At the same time, you are beginning to develop a picture of the crisis and are inviting him to tell you more about his situation. You are following the crisis intervention process, responding to Dick's feelings, and showing some honest empathy with him and his predicament. You are not having a conversation with him. You are involving him in crisis communication. People communicate with each other for many reasons. We may communicate to get or give information. To get information, we read books, newspapers, letters, pamphlets, catalogs. Watch television, listen to the radio. Ask people questions. Go to meetings. And so on. We are constantly in the process of getting information. Sometimes we do it intentionally because we want the information. Sometimes we do it out of habit, or for lack of anything else to do. We also spend a lot of time giving information to other people. We answer their questions, write letters, tell them things they may or may not want to know, point things out to them, and so on. Getting and giving information occupies much of our communication time. 
At other times, we communicate for entertainment. We go to movies, talk to friends, read good books, start conversations while waiting in line, telephone our family, and so on. Sometimes we communicate just because it is expected. Hello, how are you? I'm fine, how are you? This kind of social communication is familiar to all of us. At other times, communication involves giving advice, expressing opinions, just talking because things are too quiet. And if we are deep in thought or doing something tedious, we may even talk to ourselves. Crisis communication is a special and limited type of communication. It is solely for the benefit of the individual in crisis. We like to be helpful, enjoy working with people, and feel good if our efforts are appreciated. Nevertheless, our purpose is to help people in crisis, and their purpose is to be helped. Why will it be more helpful for them to talk to us than to talk with a friend, a member of the family, or someone else? Why can we help when other people cannot? In part, our helpfulness comes from our understanding of and focus on the crisis communication process. Everything we say and do is solely for the benefit of the individual in crisis. We do not blame, accuse, pass judgment, become extremely sympathetic, take sides, or become pushy, or meddling. We start where the individual is in terms of his thoughts and feelings and do not jump to conclusions or assume that we understand and try to tell him what to do about his problem. We recognize that he is a unique individual with a unique situation. He and his situation may be very similar to others we have dealt with, but it is his life and his problem and is, thus, very special to him. We are not going to treat him, or try to solve his problem. Rather, our goal is to help him calm down, slow down, think things through, and plan ahead. We assume that he is a rational person capable of dealing with his world. Our efforts are supportive and encouraging. We modify and clarify his messages, filter his feelings, and let him use our knowledge and skills to his benefit. In crisis communication, the individual uses us to supplement and support his own skills and capacities. Being available to him in this way is the major difference between crisis communication and other types of communication. Further, this special characteristic of crisis communication is what is most helpful about this kind of help. In summary, crisis communication starts with an understanding of the communication loop. An individual in crisis has confused and somewhat conflicting feelings, ideas, thoughts, and emotions. It is this confusion and conflict that motivates him to come to a crisis intervention service. Through crisis communication, he is able to translate these feelings, emotions, ideas, and so on, into verbal and non-verbal messages. Gradually, he is able to organize and express these messages in a way that leads him to understand his situation. Crisis communication helps him modify and clarify these messages and serves as an emotional filter through which intense and uncomfortable feelings can pass. This modification, clarification, and filtering gradually move the individual to a point where he can deal with his situation. Crisis communication is a special and limited form of communication and represents a systematic way to make thinking, planning, and feeling skills available to the individual, thus supporting and supplementing his own capacities and abilities. It is this understanding and special use of the communication loop that allow crisis communication to help people in crisis when other forms of communication do not.